you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights. Pastor Lee is a traveling and seeing family this week, and so Uh, We are going to be studying God's word together. During the month of December, we have been in a series called God With Us, and we've been walking through the opening chapters of Matthew, and and we've been looking at all of the different ways that God has been preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah, whether we're talking about promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and King David, or prophecies that were spoken by the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah. And then we looked at how our God is not only a promise-keeping God, but he's also a providing God and a protecting God in the way that he cared for Mary and Joseph in those early years of Jesus' life, when his life was under threat from uh, King Herod, and how he used the gifts of the Magi uh, and dreams to Joseph to protect his son and allow them to escape to Egypt and and escape harm. And so this morning, we are going to find one final piece of the preparation that God is uh, is going to get his people ready for the coming of the ministry of Jesus. So what I want you guys to do this morning, I want you to jump with me in your time machine, and I want you to go back about a week ago. All right. Now, I know Christmas is already over, right? How many of you guys, the Christmas decorations are already gone? Anybody? Let me see the hands. There they are. If I came in this morning and I looked around and wow, all the Christmas decorations here in the sanctuary were gone. And I was like, that is fantastic. It's like magic. The elves came in and just like, it was all gone. So some of you guys and some of us are going to have them up until Valentine's day. And that's okay. Some of us are going to have them up till St. Patrick's day. And some of us are going to have them up so long. We're like, well, we might as well keep them up till next year. That's all right too. All right. Everybody's different. But some of you guys, you know, I know Christmas is over. And some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, let's not start talking about Christmas again. Because you're like, I need a break, right? Anybody there? Nod your head if you're there with me. You're like, okay. But I want you to think, think back to a, a week ago and think about all the things that you did in order to prepare for Christmas. All right. Some of you guys did some last minute shopping. Some of you guys went to Walmart with four kids a couple of days before Christmas and immediately realized that it was a bad life choice, you know, because it took us five minutes to find the gift and 45 minutes to check check out while I was trying to keep my four kids from setting fire to the store. All right. This is, this is the life that I live. Okay. And then, and some of you guys did last minute baking. Some of you guys did last minute decorating. Some of you guys did last minute cleaning your house, expecting the arrival of guests. All right. There was a morning where uh, Catherine spent all morning long getting the living room clean, only to go upstairs and see that the entire time she'd been working on the living room, the children had been working on the upstairs room where grandma was supposed to sleep and you couldn't find the floor. And she said, guys, I just did this. We need to clear a place for grandma to sleep. All right. So all of this, all of this preparation and then it fine, it, then the day finally comes. Well, this morning, we are going to see the final preparation that God uses to prepare his people, and it's a man by the name of John. If you guys have a Bible, if you're using a Bible app, I would invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 3, and uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You know, one of the coolest things I ever got to do um, right before God called us here to Heights, I had a chance to do, be the music director for the musical at ACC, and the musical they did was Godspell. And Godspell, if y'all are familiar with that Broadway show, it's, a, it's, all, about, um, it's all about the Gospels of, of Matthew and Luke, and the whole thing starts with the person who plays John the Baptist, and he comes from the back of the theater with a kazoo instead of a shofar. And he sings the solo all by himself. He says, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And then the whole cast joins in, and this is big production number. It's, it, it, it was really cool. But that's what's happening here, is the person that Isaiah had promised hundreds of years ago would be the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist bursts onto the scene. And when I say bursts onto the scene, okay, John the Baptist, this is not a guy who is concerned about your feelings. This is not a guy who is worried about offending you, right? This guy is like fire and brimstone, and he's like a little bit crazy, and he lives out in the desert, all right? And it tells us, the Bible tells us that he, that he eats bugs and sugar, all right? That's what he does. He eats bugs and sugar, all right? When I imagine what John the Baptist probably looks like, okay, he is this loud, obnoxious, in your face. You guys ever been to Minute Maid Park, and you see the guy with the sandwich board and the bullhorn? who says the end is near. You guys know the guy I'm talking about? All right, you've seen this guy. If you haven't seen him at Minute Maid Park, you may have seen him at the Alamo or maybe like following behind the Houston parade. You guys know this guy, right? You guys are just like this. This is what I see in my imagination when I imagine John the Baptist. This is a guy who is not messing around, not mincing any words, all right? Um, what we know about John, he's kind of like one of the last Old Testament prophets. In fact, he even dresses like an Old Testament prophet. This is what Matthew tells us. He says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So you've got this guy living out in the desert, dressing, and I'll tell you, the, 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 the camel's hair, he's dressed just like Elijah. All right, he's making that connection to the Old Testament. Elijah's one of the most famous prophets of the Old Testament. And he's, he's saying, like, I'm renewing the tradition. You know, it's really interesting. We, we talk about, in Christian circles, we talk about the 400 silent years. There were 400 years between when the book of Malachi ends. Interestingly enough, the book of Malachi makes this comment about how Elijah is going to come back. And I think maybe John the Baptist is sort of fulfilling that promise. Uh, the book of Malachi ends and the New Testament doesn't begin. There's 400 years where God doesn't speak. And believe it or not, that's actually not just a Christian understanding. If you look at the historical writings like Josephus and you look at the rabbinic writings in Jesus' day, the rabbis and the historians are talking about the fact that God had stopped speaking, like the prophets were no longer operating in those days. And yet suddenly, 400 years later, John the Baptist, dressed like Elijah, out in the wilderness, yelling, prepare the way of the Lord. And I want to take a minute and kind of unpack John's message here, because it's very simple. Matthew gives us a very simple, very clear understanding of what John's message was. And John's message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, if you think about, think about it for a minute, all right? If you are not a church person, then the only time you hear the word repent is if you have been yelled at by one of those guys with the sandwich board and the bullhorn, all right? They're very fond of saying the word repent, okay? And so you might be asking yourself this morning, even if you are a church person, what does repent mean? I mean, I didn't even pent. How am I supposed to repent? What does this mean? The word repent uh, in the Greek, it literally means uh, to change your mind. It's to have a mind change. But the picture of repentance in the Bible is something much more rich, much more inclusive. It's not just changing your mind. It's the idea that you have a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart, which leads to a change of action. All right. So when you repent, it's not just thinking differently. It's thinking differently, which causes you to feel differently, which causes you to act differently. One of the th- ways that we illustrate the idea of repentance is turn around. Whatever way you're going, turn around and go the other way. If you've ever seen a road sign that says the end is near, all right, it means stop whatever you're doing and go the other way because you're about to go off a cliff. And that's kind of the message that John gives us this morning. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John has this message of repentance, which means turn around and go the other way. He's identifying with the Old Testament prophets. He's dressed like an Old Testament prophet. But you know, here's what's interesting to me about John. His success in his ministry is very different than your typical Old Testament prophets. If you go back and read the Old Testament, time after time, God calls these men and sometimes women to speak the word in his name. uh, And he usually tells them, oh, and by the way, you're going to spend your whole life sharing my word with the people and nobody is going to listen. You're going to spend your whole life and people are going to ignore you and people are going to disobey you. You're going to speak truth to power. You'll be in front of kings and queens and tell them to turn around and get right with God, and they're just going to say, nah, I'm going to do it my own way. Interestingly enough, when John bursts onto the scene, and remember, he bursts on the scene. So when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I think he probably yells it at the top of his lungs every time. All right, he says, repent. Maybe he used a bullhorn, I don't know. And this is what it says in verse 5. This is what I think is interesting. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. What is really interesting to me is that unlike the prophets of old who spent years being ignored by the people, great and small, People were really interested in what was going on with John the Baptist. People were going out to the river. People were realizing, and you know, and I think it was probably a particular kind of person. There is a particular kind of person, usually a person who has made some mistakes that has blown up their life, that is, realizes that they have sinned and that they are in need of a savior. I'm thinking of a person who, um, a person who has cheated on their spouse and blown up their marriage. Thinking of a person who has made some bad calls and treated people unfairly in business and has blown up some business relationships. Maybe somebody who drinks their paycheck and goes home and is abusive to their wife and children. These are the people who heard the message of John saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. And they were excited. They were like, yes, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm in need. I want to be part of the kingdom. And they came and they came and they were baptized. 
and John baptized them, and they were coming to grips with their sin, and they wanted to turn their life around. But there was another group of people that was interested in what was going on out at the Jordan River. You see, John, he's got all of these Facebook followers All right, he's getting lots of likes on Instagram. He's getting lots of retweets on Twitter. There's a buzz going on. And the religious leaders are suddenly very interested in what's going on with John. Pick it up in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to baptism, he said to them, and folks, he just lets them have it. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, so I want you to catch this, all right? He literally says, turn or burn. That's what he says. That, that, is, that is John's message to these guys. And by the way, folks, when you call somebody a snake in the grass in English, or when you call somebody a snake in the grass in Greek, it's not any better, okay? He's just, he's being awful. He's saying, not only are you a bunch of snakes, but your mommy and your daddy were a bunch of snakes too. And folks, the pictures of snakes, not a good thing in the Bible. Snakes are always a bad thing, all right? He just lets them have it. We are not watching out for these folks' feelings. This is what he says, and, and, and this is why. I think, I think this is why he's getting to the heart of the issue. He's cutting, he's cutting right there. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There it is. Turn or burn. It's right there. You see, there were two different kinds of people in Jesus' day. There were people that realized that they were sinners that were in need of a Savior. And there were people that were trusting in somebody else's faithfulness to save them. See, there was this understanding in Judaism that if you were a born a Jew, you were part of God's kingdom. God's kingdom was a part of your birthright. Your, whether or not you were saved, whether or not you got to be a part of God's kingdom, had everything to do with who your mommy and your daddy was. Not whatever kind of personal decision that you made. And I, that's why I want to sort of take a minute and sort of uh, take this rabbit trail to realize that there are folks Uh, that live in our culture today, there are folks that you'll talk to around town that have a same understanding about salvation. Ask somebody who like doesn't go to church on any kind of a regular basis to be like, hey, are you a Christian? And they might say something like, well, yeah, my grandma used to take me to church when I was a kid. So I guess that makes me a Christian. Or or you might say something like, well, you know, and and they might say, well, you know, I, I, I was confirmed when I was a kid, or, or, or I got baptized when I was a baby, but, you know, I don't really go anymore. But I guess that still, that still counts, right? Or somebody might say something like, well, my granddaddy was a Baptist, and my daddy was a Baptist, so I guess that makes me a Baptist too. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if your daddy was a Baptist, or your granddaddy was a Baptist, or if you were born on the back row, Nothing that your parents did makes you a part of the kingdom. 
What makes you a part of the kingdom is when you come to grips with the person of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you and you repent, which means you change your mind about who Jesus is and that change of mind changes your heart, which changes your actions. That is what makes you a Christian. And folks, that's something that cuts both ways. How many parents I got in this room? I got four kids, so my heart is always like, Really, really heavy on parents, okay? Just because you bring or drag your kids to church doesn't make them Christians, all right? Now, don't get me wrong. It is a good thing to bring your kids to church. I want your kids in life group. I want your kids at Team Kid. I want your kids involved in the student ministry. I want your kids going to camp. I want your kids uh, playing upward sports. But none of those programs... And being inside the building is not what makes them Christians. What makes them Christians is when they give their lives to Jesus. So when God calls us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, don't forget to start with the ones that live at your house and have your same last name. Can I get an amen on that? It's really, really important. And by the way, if you have adult children that no longer live with you, that aren't following Jesus, you still pray for those people. You pray for them always. Uh, here at Heights, we talked about having a four-by-four four strategy where we have four people that we pray for four times a week and we invite them four times a year and we try and have gospel conversations with these people who don't know Jesus. People that are related to you can be in your four-by-four. All right, they can be that. And if you, have an, if you have adult children, it is not too late for the Lord to get a hold of them. All right. If you have grandchildren, it is not too late for them to turn and repent and become a part of the kingdom of heaven. If you have parents who don't know Jesus, you can still be at work, a part of God's kingdom, inviting them into the family of faith. Because it's, it's like Pastor Lee talked about a couple weeks ago. God has no grandchildren. He just has children. And so we work constantly to bring the next generation and other generations into the fold, into the faith. And this is the message that I think is so important for us to understand. It's the message that John shares with the religious leaders of the day. These are the people who did not think they needed salvation. These were the good religious people in our, in our day and age, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these would be like, like the, the pastors of really big churches and uh, leaders of Christian organizations and, and, the, and the professors that teach at seminaries, right? These are very spiritual people. And John is saying over and over again, no, 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 repent. Don't trust in who your daddy was to save you. You need to trust in the one who is coming. You need to trust in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I can't even bring his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the baptizer is not messing around. <laughs> In fact, I heard one a commentator say that maybe John the Baptist was all of this fire and brimstone and turn and burn so that when Jesus showed up, people would be like, oh, I like this guy better. 
now to be fair, you keep reading in Matthew and you're going to hear some of those same things come out of Jesus' mouth. But at least he wasn't all fire all the time. I think John's kind of got one note. He's got one sermon. It's just over and over again, turn and burn, turn or burn, turn or burn. But I want you to notice something about John. John is not saying follow the rules. John is not saying prepare the way for a system of philosophy. John is not saying prepare the way for a way of life. John is not saying prepare the way for a particular bloodline. John is preparing the way for a person. John is intense, man. I'm telling you, he's standing out there and he's got his megaphone and he's got his sign that says the end is near, but he is at the top of his lungs over and over and over again, pointing to Jesus. He's talking about the fact that the kingdom of come is coming in a person, not in a movement, not in an organization, but in a person of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is going to come. And he is going to be the person who is the way and the truth and the life. And he's preparing the way for Jesus. So the question I want to ask you guys this morning is how do we prepare the way for the Lord? How do we prepare the way for the Lord? Because you know what? Jesus, when he gave us his marching orders, you skip to the end of the story. Spoiler alert. When Jesus goes back to heaven, the last thing he says is go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've taught you. So there is a sense in which he's calling his disciples and brothers and sisters, that's you and me, and he's calling us to be a part of what John the Baptist was doing. John was preparing the way for Jesus to come the first time. We are preparing the way for Jesus to come again. That's what we're doing. And so the first question I want to ask you is, are you on mission? Are you on mission? Have you taken those opportunities to be the light of Jesus in your community. Uh, Pastor Jonathan earlier in the service talked about those, those love and lead reports. As a church this year, we have been, uh, we've been working through this idea that, that we want to love and lead all people to new life with Christ. And we've highlighted a couple of ways in which we do that. We look for opportunities to serve our community. We look for opportunities to invite people to come and worship with us here at Heights. And we look for opportunities to have those gospel conversations. Those are ways in which we are making disciples and preparing the way of the Lord. One of the things that has been so exciting to me this year is we've had nearly 30 baptisms this year at Heights as we have continued the work that John the Baptist started, and that work that Jesus has called us to, to prepare the way for the Lord. So I want you to think about as we close 2019 and we get ready to enter into 2020, what are some of those ways that you can prepare the way of the Lord in your community? Do you need to have a gospel conversation with somebody? Are there people on your prayer list that you need to um, that, you, that you need to invite to church and say, hey, I'd love for you to join us at, at this event or come, come with me on a Sunday morning. Are, there's, are there people, are there ways you can serve your community? We want to be on mission and we also want to be on message. 
One of the things that I think is so interesting, remember, at the beginning of this chapter, Matthew gives us a one-sentence summary of what the John the Baptist message was. And it was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus begins his public ministry, one chapter later, this is what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the words of Matthew's gospel, it is word for word the same message. We need to not only be on mission, but we also need to be on message. We were talking about this in my life group a couple of weeks ago. And one of the, one of the people in my life group said, you know, if we're talking about ways to prepare the way for the Lord, you know, one of the ways we need to do that is we need to know and be in God's word ourselves. We need to know what that message is. The only way that our message is going to line up with the message of Jesus Christ is if we ourselves read the message. Amen? That's why I would encourage you to be a part of this Bible reading plan that we're going to do. We're going to be working on trying to build some new habits for those of you who maybe don't have a a, a part of, of your life where you spend time in God's word every day. And, 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 let me just, and let me just encourage you, if you are one of those people who has a daily quiet, a daily quiet time, has time that you set aside every day for the Lord, and, and you already are in a routine, I think that's wonderful. Thank you. I would encourage you to add this one chapter a day to whatever it is you already do. All right? And some of you might be sitting there going, ah, oh, that sounds like a lot. That's a lot of extra stuff to do. So I thought to myself, okay, how long does it really take to read one chapter of scripture? And so yesterday I was sitting at Starbucks and I was working on the sermon and I just read Matthew 3, uh, which is the chapter that we're in today. I read it. Um, I read the whole thing. It took me 30 seconds. All right. But then I thought to myself, I thought, okay, it's a, it's a short chapter. Some of these chapters in Luke, they're kind of long. Like Luke chapter one is actually a really long chapter if you've ever read it. So I was like, I'm going to see how long it takes me to read Luke chapter 1, which is the very first day of this Bible reading plan that we're going to be doing together as a church. It took me a minute and a half. All right, that's how long it took me to read Luke chapter 1. And some of you guys might be saying, okay, but that's Pastor Matt, and he's a pastor, and he went to seminary, and he learned how to read fast, which is true, okay? But let me just say, I'm thinking if, if someone like myself or like Pastor Jonathan, who's in seminary right now, so he's really good at reading fast right now, um, if one of us, if we can do it in a minute and a half, I'm thinking anybody in this room can probably get through a passage of scripture, one chapter of scripture in five or 10 minutes. In fact, I'm thinking what I'll probably do is I'll read it out loud to my kids and they may not get the whole chapter. I may read as much as they'll hang with for. And then when they start setting fire to things, we may stop for the night. That may just be how we do it. They're laughing over here. They think I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's how we're going to do it at home, is we're going to spend some time reading together as a family. So I would encourage you, if you've never had or if you don't have a consistent time in the Word, this is a good way to get involved in God's Word and kind of build that habit. It's a relatively short time commitment, and it doesn't mean you have to only spend five minutes time in God's Word. Spend all the time you can in God's Word, but, but five to ten minutes is a good place to start if you're starting from ground zero. Um, and come on this journey with us so we can all be in God's word together and share insights and share what the Holy Spirit is illuminating and bringing to mind as we read God's word together because we want to be on mission and we also want to be on message. The final thing I want you to think about this morning as, as we've looked at the ministry of John the Baptist and as we're thinking about how we continue, how we continue that ministry is brothers and sisters, we need to repent. 
We need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the same way when John was saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and Jesus was coming for the first time, we repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because Jesus is coming again. A lot of those songs we talked about, this, a lot of those songs we sang this morning, we're talking about that theme. The idea is that Jesus is coming back and we want to be a part of his kingdom. Maybe this morning you are a, a person who knows Jesus and loves Jesus, but you may realize there is a part of your life, there is a portion of your life in which you need a mind change that will lead to a heart change that will lead to a change of actions. Maybe there's something specific in your life, brothers and sisters, that you need to repent of. There's some area of your life that you need to give to Jesus, and I would encourage you to do that today. I would encourage you to repent. Um, Martin Luther, when he first wrote, his, when he nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door and began the Protestant Reformation, the very first line says, when Jesus says repent, he's calling us Christians to a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance isn't something that just happens once. It is an ongoing process as we are changed from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, if you love Jesus, that doesn't mean that you can't repent of whatever today. And so I'd invite you to do that. And then if you're a person this morning who has never come to grips with who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you when he went to the cross to die in your place for your sin and then raise from the dead on the third day so that you can have new life in him, I would encourage you to repent and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and discover the beauty of eternal life. Come to Jesus and see what it means to become a part of God's kingdom, what it means to become a part of God's family. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org give.